Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you, and uh, if you do, if you could open them up to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one right in the back of that pew in front of you. And I really want you to have that open because you're going to see some unique words, some specific words in there that we're going to draw attention to. And remember while you're getting that out, that we're in a series called The Summer in the Sun. We're spending the entire summer just looking at Jesus, at His life, who He was, what He did, what that means for us today. The impact that that can have on us is phenomenal. We're going to see in this passage today the mercies of God as seen through the actions of Jesus Christ as the entire gospel is put to picture form, and we'll see that in a minute. There's a book that I would encourage you to read if you've never read it. Some of you may have. It's called Under the Overpass. It's one of my favorite books, challenging. It's about two guys, Mike and Sam, who asked themselves a question, what if I stepped out of my comfortable life with nothing but God and put my faith to the test alongside those who live with nothing every day? You know what Mike and Sam did? They spent five months living on the streets of six American cities. Not just a few days a week, the entire five months, with nothing but their guitars and their faith. Wow, would you do that? Let me tell you about one of their stories. Mike writes, you know, when you're sitting on a sidewalk, you're at eye level with the babies and kids, and it's a different world down there. See, as toddlers stumble past holding their parents' hands, they lock you in their unashamed gazes, or they peek curiously out from their strollers. You see, they haven't learned yet to ignore what they see, so they can actually take in the world as it is. While kids might pretend people who don't exist do, it's parents who pretend that unwanted people who do exist don't. I held this little boy's gaze for a while and gave him a smile, which he immediately returned. And from high above him, his mother said something that got my attention. She said, we have to be about the gift of giving and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. She said it to her companion. I looked up quickly, wondering what these words might mean. What with us sprawled on the sidewalk, not five feet from her. But when I caught her eye, she looked away and quickened her pace. Now the family was well past us, but the boy in the stroller still looked straight at me. And the further away they got, the further he leaned out from that stroller, looking back, fixing me with his grin and a steady gaze. To me, that seemed like the gift of giving. You ever thought what the world is like on the level of a kid? Things change down there. Have you ever thought how you present yourself when you see the undesirables and the unlovely and the unwanted of this world? You ever catch what goes through your mind and what your actions are? You know, Matthew and Luke and Mark all record what we're about to study. 
Except Matthew includes a detail that I find really, really important. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? The greatest sermon ever preached. Listen to Matthew's account as he begins this story of this leper. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him. Did you catch that? Jesus just preached the greatest sermon in the world, came down off the mount, and then put it into action. Why did Jesus come? He came to preach and save the lost. And he, became, he came to demonstrate the gospel. So here we go. We're in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes down the mountain. A leper comes to him. And according to Luke chapter 4, verse 27, lepers were common in Israel all the way back during the days of Elisha. They're still common. They're still lepers all over the land of Palestine, the land of the Jews. But it's important, as Mark introduces us to this leper, that somehow, you and I, somehow, we learn and figure out how to step into the shoes of the leper. Now listen, listen. if you, pr- if you come to this story kind of antiseptically above the fray, not really feeling what it's like, you're, you're going to leave thinking, wow, you know, Pastor Tim, pretty interesting information. All right, let's go home and get the barbecue going. If you want the Word of God to change you, friends, you've got to learn the discipline. I've got to learn it too. We've got to learn the discipline of climbing into the world of the people. They're real people, and they have a real story, something we've got to intersect with. And so we come to this story, and we're likely going to find it's a little bit difficult to climb into the shoes of a leper. None of us have experienced leprosy. By the way, it's an ancient disease, right? You know that last year, 2010, just at the beginning of the year, WHO, World Health Organization, tabulated the statistics just at the beginning of 2010 and found 211,000 brand new cases of contracted leprosy. Friends, those are only the reported cases. Most double that to 420,000. Brand new cases. It's not as ancient as we might have thought. In fact, leprosy has been discovered in an Egyptian mummy, giving rise to the belief that the disease originated in Egypt and has perpetuated itself even to today with modern medicine. When you encounter leprosy in the Scripture, and it's all through the Bible, when you encounter it, the word covers, you'll have a little footnote in your Bible, Because the word leprosy can mean anything from a skin rash to a skin infection to full-blown bacterial leprosy. In fact, in, in Leviticus 13, all 59 verses are dedicated to the identification of leprosy, the treatment of leprosy, and the protection of the community from leprosy. Friends, bacterial leprosy, now called Hansen's disease, there was no treatment in biblical times. All you did was segregate the leper. And you can spread leprosy through air, bodily contact, even touching their clothes. You can contract the bacteria. And it usually starts with this white, pinkish patch of skin. And back in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they would have to immediately go and present themselves to the priest. And the priest 
were trained to be able to recognize bacterial leprosy. And then it would begin to spread, but it would begin on the nose or the ear or the chin or the face, usually the outer extremities of your body. And as it spread, the eyebrows and the eyelashes begin to disappear and then spongy tumors grow and they begin usually on the face and then as it goes systemic, they begin to go around your body and all of these spongy tumorous growths. And then the disease progresses and it begins to go inward to your body. And always where it attacks is the larynx. So a leper's voice was always a raspy, grating, howling voice. Then it begins to invade bone marrow and it prevents blood supply to get to the bones. And they begin to shrivel and all of a sudden noses and ears and fingers and toes really literally begin to reabsorb right back into the body. And what looks like parts of the body falling off is really the reabsorption into the body because of the blood supply being cut off. Eyes go blind. Teeth fall out. But the horror that I'm about to explain is even worse. You see, what happens in leprosy is this. We all have nerves, and when you hurt your finger, those nerves transmit signals to your brain that registers the pain. In a leper, the bacteria attacks the sheaths that go over the nerve, literally not allowing signals to go from the point of injury to the brain. Really, the problem that is most central to lepers is they lose the ability to feel pain. Well, you might think that's not so bad. I'd like to feel a little less pain. You're wearing sandals in those Palestinian dusty roads and you're walking to find food and back to your home and all of a sudden there's a little pebble that gets in your foot and you're unaware of it because you can't feel it. And that night you go to bed and that dirt and that dust gets into that wound and a couple days later somebody notices because you can't see it, somebody notices you've got an infection in your foot And they didn't have medicines for infections. And all of a sudden, the infection begins to spread out of control until what happens is gangrene sets in and oozing sores until finally, in most cases, you begin to lose those limbs. This is why lepers live in colonies, friends. It's a daily evening ritual before they go to bed that they check over each other's bodies for unfelt and unseen cuts. And Luke, when he tells about this in chapter 5, he gives us something that Mark and Matthew don't. The man was full of leprosy. He had advanced stages of leprosy. Tumors, absorbed extremities, oozing sores, hair loss, terrible stench. Now can't you wait to go home and eat your barbecue? Listen, get into the shoes of this leper. What would your life be like? If you were this person full of leprosy, how desperate would you be? It's not so difficult then to see the desperation coursing through this man. As Mark says, he comes to Jesus imploring him and kneeling before him. But you know, all I've told you so far is the physical aspect, the physical dimension of his suffering. Judaism provided another aspect of suffering for lepers, a social 
element to it. You see, the rabbis, the Jewish religious leaders, they had 61 defilements, 61 things that can render a person defiled and separated from God. Number one on the list was touching a dead body. There was nothing worse to rabbis than touching a dead body. That's why they painted cemeteries, grave markers a month before any of the great festivals so that you're walking through the country, you don't accidentally touch a gravestone and be rendered unclean for seven days. Nothing worse than touching a dead body. But the second most heinous defilement on their list was a leper. Now I'm giving you the social dimension. I've already told you the physical suffering. Now I want you to see the social suffering that would have been coursing through this man's life. You get to Leviticus chapter 13, and you begin to see not shame and humiliation from God. What you see is how God is protecting the community from this highly contagious disease. But Judaism took it to a level of inhumane degradation. You see, lepers were never, ever, ever allowed into any walled town. If a town had walls in it, no leper could ever enter it. They couldn't come to the temple. They couldn't go to a synagogue. Their only companions were other lepers. Friends, listen, this even extended into the Middle Ages. Did you know that in the Middle Ages, churches were constructed with leper slits? There were slots in the walls so that lepers could stand outside and look at the service, be part of the service without ever being around people. Even into the Middle Ages, lepers were social outcasts. And if you were married and you contracted leprosy, friends, moms especially, think, think what this would be like. You would be driven away from your family. You will never hold your children again. And because there was never a cure for leprosy, you would never be with your family and your children ever again. The leper had to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever people would come near. And just like somebody that was in mourning would take their hair, if you're a woman, you would let your hair down something that a Jewish woman never did outside of the presence of her husband. But in mourning, she would let her hair down. A man would dishevel his hair in mourning, and they would rip and tear their clothes. And this is what a leper had to do. He was commanded to let his hair down and to wear only torn and ragged clothes. Why? Because it was a sign that he was a leper, that he was living, death, walking. In fact, the rabbis forbade people to even greet or wave to a leper. This man, full of leprosy, comes to Jesus, and I can guarantee you as that crowd was walking down off that mountain, there was a horrific shockwave that went through that crowd because no leper ever came to a rabbi. Let me tell you why. One leper in, or one rabbi in writing prided himself that he would throw stones at lepers to keep them away. Another rabbi boasted that he wouldn't eat an egg purchased on a street where a leper had ever walked. You see, Jewish law commanded that if you were upwind, if you were upwind, a leper could come within six feet of a person. But if the leper was downwind, or if you were downwind from the leper, the law said 140 feet was as close as you could come. 
And rabbis taught because everything in Judaism believed that any disease came from a sin that you had committed. You got a sickness, you got a fever, then it's either divine judgment because you've broken a command or demonic activity. They only had two explanations, demonic activity or God's judgment for any disease. And so rabbis taught that there were 11 things that could cause a person to contract leprosy. The worst of them had to do with the mouth. You slander a neighbor, then more than likely God's going to give you leprosy. Where'd they learn that? Remember Miriam? Remember Miriam talking out against Moses and his leadership and what God did to Miriam was to give her leprosy? It's inferred that he later healed her from that, but it came from her mouth. And so the rabbis believed that it was the mouth and the sins in the mouth that brought lepers the disease. And of all people who should have been full of mercy, here we've got the rabbis, the religious rulers, the ones who knew the word of God more than anybody, who withheld it the most. Now, it's really easy, isn't it? I mean, how many of you found that really interesting? Okay, so none of you did. Is it to be alive? Thank you, Blaine Rundle. I love you. You're my favorite parishioner this morning. I think I'm not supposed to do that, James says. It's really interesting. It's really interesting, isn't it, to know the world of a leper? You think we're that much different from the rabbis? I mean, let's be honest. Don't you see suffering people all around you? Don't you see the undesirable all around you? What do you do? What is your response? You may not pick up a stone and throw them, but do you walk away without doing anything and without caring? Maybe if we just are true with ourselves, we would see that we don't show the mercy that we ought to as well. Can't you almost hear the raspy words of the leper in Mark 1? Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Are you amazed or are you like most of the crowd appalled that this man would come to Jesus with his pleading? But what faith is in this leper? But what incomplete faith? He's really saying, Jesus, I know you can do it, but I'm not really sure you're willing. Now listen, I know I'm I'm catching a lot of us up in that one. Because this is what I hear from most of us. I know God's omnipotent. I know he's got all the power. I just don't know if he's good. I don't know if he will exercise that power on my behalf. And I think what he's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I know you can heal me from this loathsome death sentence, but are you willing? Do you see me the way everyone else does as nothing but a repulsive object of horror. Haven't you ever wondered, friends, what triggered this man's faith? Listen, you don't go near a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. You don't go near the teachers of Judaism. And Jesus was a teacher. What triggered this faith for such audacious boldness in this leper? Maybe what we learned last week ought to come back into our minds this week. You remember what I said? 
that Jesus' mission, His purpose, why He came to this planet, above anything else, was to preach the Gospel. And listen, people try to get Him to fall into the healing category and the miracle worker. And yes, miracles and healings were important, but Jesus would never allow the healings to be in place of and in front of His preaching. And so He would leave towns and he would preach the gospel, and then he would demonstrate the power of the gospel with healings and miracles. And you remember, he just preached the greatest sermon ever preached. He was up on that mountain, and he's coming down from that mountain, and I can tell you that that leper was listening. He wasn't with the people. That was illegal. But he was hearing the words because the fact that Jesus was on the mountain preaching downward, it was a natural amphitheater. And what would he have heard in that sermon that could have triggered the faith to do what he did, what no one would have expected him to do? Here's what he probably heard. You ready? Matthew 7. Judge not, Jesus said, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't think that leper ever heard that before in his life. Listen, he was the living recipient of judgment. There was nothing but judgment going to that leper all the days of his life. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says in that great sermon, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And all of a sudden, his soul is drinking in the words of Jesus as Jesus says, are you not of more value than they? And all of a sudden, his faith was united with hope. That is what faith is. Faith without hope is just empty promises. His faith was connected with hope, and he acted on it. And Jesus responded, verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. If you were a nurse, you had an AIDS patient and you had to draw his blood and you accidentally stabbed yourself with that syringe that you just used on that patient, you would now understand the shock that went through that crowd when Jesus put his hand on that leper. You don't touch a leper unless you want to die. Nobody touched a leper. But Jesus could not be defiled by disease. Have you ever wondered at that? Listen, go back to the Gospel. Can you find any place that Jesus had a cold? You ever notice Jesus having a fever? A stomach virus? All of these were alive and well in Palestine in that time. Do you ever notice Jesus having a disease or a malady? Jesus never ever had a physical disease in his life because his body was undefiled and unbroken by sin. Have you ever thought like that before? There's just no record of it in the life of Jesus. Why? Because ultimately, all physical illness has its roots in the destructive nature of sin. Now listen, listen to me, because I don't want you walking out of here and sneezing out the doorway going, what did I just do against God? 
When I say that all disease has its roots in the destructive nature of sin, here's what that means. It means that the very fabric of this creation has been totally, systemically, radically disrupted by sin. So every disease, every earthquake, every car accident, every murder, every symptom of this sin that you could possibly imagine all originated from the moment Adam and Eve took that fruit and disobeyed God. They're symptoms of a sin-broken world. And the Holy Son of God, Jesus, who's our high priest, who was without sin, whose blood was without blemish, He alone could not be affected by the contagious horror of leprosy. His body was undefilable. And He stretched His hand out and He touched this leprosy. By the way, I didn't tell you this. A leper's life spans 10 to 20 years from the date of contraction. Can you imagine this man full of leprosy in advanced stages, probably at least to the 10-year mark? Nobody's touched him for 10 years, except other lepers. No clean person has laid their hand upon this man. He has not felt the touch of intimacy and love for at least, I'm sure, 10 years, possibly more. And can you imagine what, what went through him the very second, almost in time-lapse slow motion, as Jesus reaches out to the horrific gasp of everybody around him and puts his hand right on that leper. Now I want to encourage us to look closely at what moved Jesus to heal this man. Someone might say, well, it's because of man's faith. Listen, go to the text with me. Look at verse 41. What does the Bible tell us that motivated Jesus? Look what it says. He was moved with pity. Last week when we saw Jesus healing people at Capernaum, Luke tells us he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. No mention there of any any, any of the quality of faith in the people. If you go to a modern day healing service, you're going to see a person attempt to heal people. And listen, this is what you always hear. If the healing doesn't take, if the healing doesn't work, then listen, what you're going to hear is your faith was too weak. You don't have enough faith. But the, the quality of faith and the weakness of faith and sometimes the absence of faith never was an obstacle to the healer, the great physician, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about the man's faith. What, what the Bible says moved Jesus was Jesus' own pity. See, weak faith and sometimes absence of faith did not determine the response of Christ. He is God in flesh and one of His created beings was right on the ground before Him. Luke says He fell on His faith. Face. Do you know how hard that is for a leper whose nose has been reabsorbed, whose lips are being reabsorbed, to get on his face before anybody, to fingers, the digits that are going back into his body to push himself off the ground? This man fell on his face before Jesus, according to Luke. And Jesus says, I have created you. You are precious to me. And your suffering moves my compassion and my mercy will be your response. My response. 
His heart moved and his power responded. You know that word pity? I can't even pronounce it in the Greek, but it's so powerful. It means to be moved deeply in the bowels. And we would think, wow, that's a little odd. Except you've got to know that the Jews considered the bowels the very deepest, most innermost part of a being. And so to be moved in the bowels is similar to what we say it was a gut-wrenching experience. It was gut-wrenching for Jesus to see this man suffering. And it moved him to act. Listen, that ought to be encouraging for us. It doesn't matter the condition of your faith. Because some of you and some of us, we don't have very strong faith. And if you've ever been sitting under teaching that says, you're, the strength of your faith, faith equals the response of God, you wallow in self-pity. It's the mercy of God that moved Jesus. Do you remember why Mark wrote this gospel? Do you remember Christians were suffering intensely? Do you remember Christians were losing faith, their faith and they were wondering, where is this God that we've given our lives to? Why are we dying? Why is Nero still on the throne? Why are we hiding in catacombs? And Mark selectively takes from the life of Jesus and, and tabulates a gospel that is specifically intended to strengthen weak faith by gazing upon the Son of God, Jesus. And so Mark alone notes, Matthew and Luke don't mention it, Mark alone says he was moved with pity. In verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Not slow motion Hollywood effects, immediately digits of his fingers reappeared, wholeness of his eyelashes and eyebrows reappeared and sprouted, all like that, cuts and oozing sores closed, not pink, newly restored flesh, brand new flesh that never even looked like it had leprosy. And he was made clean. You ever noted that before? Listen, there's two things going on here. The leprosy left him, that's one, and then he was made clean, that's two. That's telling us something. There's some, there's some distinctness going on here. You see, Judaism was a system of commands They had a system of commands that you had to obey, and if you obeyed them, you were clean before God. And clean before God means you're righteous, you're undefiled, you're holy, you're pure in the eyes of God. That's Judaism. But nobody could keep the law perfectly. None of us are righteous before God. All of us have fallen short of His glory. And to be unclean was to be unrighteous, was to be under God's wrath. And a leper was considered unclean. That's why they shouted, unclean, unclean. Out from uh, under God's wrath, shut out from his favor. But now Jesus declared him clean. And it begins to help us see why Mark included this story in his gospel. Listen, did you know this? Mark has very few teachings of Jesus. You don't see a lot of Jesus' sermons in the gospel of Mark. You see Jesus in action. But his parables and his stories and the action of Jesus penetrates to the deepest spiritual teaching as we see them through, through stories. So all of a sudden, you get to that story where Jesus heals a blind man 
and restores his sight. And what the teaching is this, that God alone can open your eyes to faith. God alone can open your eyes to the mercies of God. And then you see Jesus walking on water, and then you see him calming a storm. And we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. And all of a sudden we know Jesus is really teaching, listen, this world is full of storms. If I'm on your boat, if I'm in there with you, and I'm the captain of your ship, I will bring calmness to the storm, and you will sail right through it to the other shore. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread. And all of a sudden we know the deeper teaching is this, that Jesus is the daily bread from heaven. He can give you joy and satisfaction the rest of your life here on earth. And for all eternity you will dine on the satisfaction that he alone can bring. See, Mark is filled with, te- with deep teaching. And so you get to this story, and all of a sudden we're confronted, hey, there's a deeper meaning to this story. This isn't just about a leper getting healed. It is about that, but there's something deeper here, and we've got to get it. See, leprosy, friends, is symbolic of sin. Did you know that? Whenever you encounter leprosy in Scripture, you're seeing the Scripture symbol for the deadness of sin. Sin is living spiritual death. And it's symbolic of sin and it's cleaning here. It's symbolic of the power of God to deliver us from sin. And friends, we we won't really connect to this story until we see that every one of us sitting here right now was either a leper or is a leper. You either were a leper before Christ saved you or you're without Christ right now and you're still a leper. Now it's a little more even footing in front of the cross. We're all filled with leprosy. We've all been spiritually dead. We've all been separated from Christ. All of us have had, this, have had the sin of our lives be a, a rising stench to the nostrils of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He preached down in 10th Street, Philadelphia. Until you awaken to the fact that your nature is itself evil, until you realize that your trouble is that you yourself are wrong and that your whole nature is wrong, until you realize that you will never have need of a Savior. Have you realized that? You're either a former leper or a current leper. There's only two options in Scripture. Because every single one of us stand in need of Jesus Christ. And it's in that moment where Adam and Eve took that fruit that sin slammed itself firmly into all creation. And sin is that corrupting force that seeks to distort and to pervert all of God's work in this world. It's sin that has bound up every human being into disobedience and rebellion against God. It's that terrible, deadly condition that Jesus was born to deliver us from. And friends, Jesus Christ is the only antidote to the disease of sin. And I want you to hear this. Jesus hates sin. Did you know Jesus hates sin? I think you knew that, but maybe maybe not for the fullest of reasons. Let me, let me see if I can enlarge our thinking a little bit more this morning. Jesus hates sin. Why? Because ultimately sin creates suffering like leprosy. Jesus hates it when you suffer. Jesus hates it when you suffer. 
See, the power of the gospel is that it defeats the power of sin and redemptive compassion heals the damages of sin. Listen, if you want to know the difference between the biblical words grace and mercy, then simply know grace is God's power to take away sin. Mercy is God's loving willingness to take away the consequences of your sin. Big difference, but they work together. That's the gospel. You're not preaching the gospel until you let people know that they are full of leprosy-like sin and God has the antidote in Jesus and His great mercy will take it away and then His great, mercy, His great grace will take it away and His mercy will restore your life. Friends, when we tutor illiterate children, you know that we're literally battling against the ravages of sin. When we are waging war on sin then we will, be, we will be loving the cast-offs of this world. When we visit the lonely elderly and when that band plays in the prisons, they are helping victims of tragedy, victims of bad choices, victims of sin, and they are working to restore them with the power of the gospel. That's what redemptive compassion does. It restores people to a relationship with God. What have we seen in Jesus? You feel and see Jesus' hand extending to that leper, eyes going wide in the crowd, shock rippling through them. Can you even smell? Sometimes in a smell so bad you could taste it. Can you taste the stench of that leper that in just a moment was going to be made so clean before God? Can you see the mercies of Jesus Christ? that are flooding through him in a gut-wrenching movement that says, you're my creature, you're precious to me, and enough with your suffering. It's time to be healed. That's what we're seeing in Jesus today. He loves the lepers. And he provides an example for us as well. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for what we have learned. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, Father, in how we ought to live and how we ought to move towards people who are suffering. Lord, help us to lift up Jesus, the one who loves the lepers, who is so tender and full of mercy. We ask for your help in that, in Jesus' name. Amen.